In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I attended high school in uh, Rome, Georgia, uh, which is in the heart of the Bible Belt. If you don't know anything about that part of the world, it's part, part of the Bible Belt. And I went to a boarding school there in Rome, Georgia, and uh, the guy who was a religion teacher there, Mr. Geraldson, was uh, part of that Bible Belt. He was a serious believer, and he was always concerned about the good, uh, uh, about what was going to happen to us, the high school students, the ninth through 12th grade, or school full of boys. And every once in a while, he would bring to the, the uh, when we would have uh, our auditorium filled for the weekly gathering, he would bring, instead of a speaker, well, he would bring a speaker, but it was a different kind of speaker, and the speaker he would bring was one of those evangelists, you know, one of the hardcore evangelists. And in those days, the hardcore evangelists were, uh, this is in the 1960s, and they always had their hair kind of slicked back like that, you know, and he had his hair up like in a pompadour. I know that many of you uh, of my same vintage will remember uh, Brill Cream. Do you remember Brill Cream? If you're young, you don't know anything about Brill Cream. Trust me, it existed. And there was a stuff called Brill Cream, and the ad would go, Brill Cream, a little dab will do ya. And sure enough, you put that stuff on, and you kind of slick your hair back like that. And this guy was all slick back like that. And he would get there in front of a, uh, the school body, which was about 300 boys, and we would all get there, and he would start preaching away, and he would start getting going, and he would preach, and he would preach, and he would preach, and he would tell us about how our souls needed to be saved, and our souls needed to be saved, and our souls needed to be saved. And then just as he was about to lose his voice, because he'd been going on for a very long time, he would lean over the pulpit of that, uh, of that chapel service, he would lean over the pulpit, and his voice was just about gone, and he would say to all of us, to every one of us, uh, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? He was asking all of us, come forward, accept Christ, and you will be saved. Come forward, accept Christ, and you will be saved. Now, I want to tell you, we're high school boys, you know, so we're highly skeptical. We're in that highly skeptical stage of life. And I always wonder whether I should go forward, because if I didn't go forward, this man was going to die before the service was over. <laughs> Or perhaps I should go forward for other reasons. Uh, I never went forward, but uh, little did I know that it wasn't his life that depended on it. It was my life that depended on it. But he would say, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Murray Newman was my Old Testament professor at Virginia Theological Seminary, my favorite professor at Virginia Theological Seminary. And he was educated at Union Theological Seminary up in New York City. And uh, Union, in the, mid, uh, in the middle of the last century, the middle of the 20th century, was the preeminent seminary in the United States. It had uh, Paul Tillich was teaching there, Reinhold Niebuhr was teaching there, and Rudolf Bultmann was teaching there. Now, Rudolf Bultmann was a New Testament theologian, and Rudolf Bultmann was uh, the guy who wrote a book, The Theology of the, New, uh, Theology of the New Testament. And what he was trying to do with that book was to demythologize all the stories of the New Testament. Try to demythologize all the miracle stories. Try to demythologize the re resurrection stories. And Murray Newman told us that, uh, uh, um, that Rudolf Bultmann, when it was his turn to preach at the chapel services, would tell the students, and he would lean over the pulpit and said, you know, I've written this book so that you, intelligent people, you, people of the 20th century, you who have some questions, you who are smart, you who are intellectuals, I've written this book so that you can have faith, so that you can understand as much as you can, because all these stories are mythological stories, and we need to demythologize them if we're ever going to hope to have 
a faithful people. So he would talk about them and say, you know, I've written this book so that you can have faith, so that you can have faith. You, the smart person, 21st century American, so you can have faith. And Mary Newman told us that he would just spend time in that pulpit wanting people to rise to faith. John's Gospel is written about 80 years after the resurrection of Christ. So anybody who was there at the time of, the, of that resurrection of Christ, uh, there were very few people who were alive by the time that John writes this book. Maybe somebody who was five or six years old may have survived all the way to lady back in those days to, uh, to, to know and to be, have been there on that first resurrection day. So he's really writing this book. He's writing the whole gospel for people who were not there, who weren't there 80 years before or 2,000 years later. He writes it for the people who weren't there 80 years before, the after the resurrection, and for all of us who come after the resurrection in the year 2018. And he tells us a whole series of stories of, so that you and I can rise to faith. And one of the most important stories in the biblical narratives is the one that we had today, the one that we heard today from John's Gospel about the one whom we call Doubting Thomas. Notice how it goes. It takes place on Resurrection Day, the evening of Resurrection Day. And all the disciples are gathered in a room, the doors are locked, and all of a sudden we have Jesus' appearance who walks through the door and he comes to all of them and he says to all of them, peace be with you. That's what Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you. Now the first thing we need to notice about that is what a generous comment that is. Don't you think? What a generous comment to the disciples to tell them, all of them who weren't there for the crucifixion, all of them who didn't stand with Jesus during that time, he says to all of them, peace be with you, shalom be with you, wholeness be with you. What a wonderful statement. What a freeing statement. And then he goes on and tells them, has their appearances, and the disciples then says, we believe, we believe, we understand. Now there's one missing from the disciples, he's Thomas our beloved disciple, the one whom I call my cousin, Doubting Thomas. He is my cousin. And so Doubting Thomas is sitting there, and he comes back, and why was he gone from the other disciples? Who knows? Maybe he was out grocery shopping. No telling what he was doing. But he comes back, and they all say to him, we've seen the Lord. We have seen the risen Christ. You should believe. And then Thomas does what I think I would do, what many of us would do, and he says, unless I see the, his hands and unless I see his side and everything else, I'm not going to believe. A week later, Jesus comes again and appears through that door. And Thomas is there and Jesus again says to them, peace be with you. What an incredible, generous comment that is. Peace be with you. <coughs> and then he tells to, uh, to Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. Now, what's interesting about the story is that Thomas doesn't touch his hand, and Thomas does not touch his side. Once he sees Jesus, he proclaims the thing that is the most important thing to proclaim in all the world, my Lord and my God. And he is the first one in the Gospel of John to be able to proclaim that. The first one in 20 chapters of John's Gospel who is the first one to be able to proclaim the wonderful words, those Christological words, that all of us want to repeat somewhere in our lives by saying, my Lord and my God. I want to suggest to you that this story is not about Thomas who doubts. I think the story is about Thomas who rises to faith. 
I think he's the one who rises to faith. And John is telling us a story so that we, 2008, uh, 2018 people who weren't there for the first day of the resurrection, can also rise to faith, inviting all of us to consider how we, too, can rise to faith, even though we weren't there for that first resurrection day 2,018 years ago. I think what John is doing is that he's joining my evangelical preacher of high school. He's joining Rudolf Bultmann at Union Theological Seminary. And if he were here today, he would be leaning over this pulpit and he would be saying, John the Gospeler would be saying to you, you know, I've told you these stories. I'm telling you, I've told you 20 chapters worth of stories so that you can rise to faith. The only reason I've written this gospel is so that you can believe, so that you too can rise to faith. And he would be standing here <coughs> echoing the words of that evangelical preacher saying, won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you rise to faith? Won't you rise to faith? Won't you rise to faith? That's what John is saying. And he says, you know, I'm telling you these stories not so that you can have proof, but so that you can have faith. And as you and I both know, if you're a person of faith, we don't have any proof. Faith always has to have an element of doubt. If there is no element of doubt, there can be no faith. If you have proof, you need no faith. And what John is talking about is inviting all of us to rise to faith, not to proof, but to rise to faith. And he's joining that evangelical guy back in 1968 or whenever it was that I was in high school. And Rudolf Bultmann saying, won't you rise to faith? Won't you rise to faith? Won't you rise to faith? Now, we're in an Episcopal church, and Episcopalians don't come forward when the preacher says, won't you rise to faith? But I want to suggest to you that you do do that on an every Sunday basis. Down south, when they have an evangelical revival, people call it hitting the sawdust trail because they have a trail built in the middle of the thing where you come forward towards the preacher. We're too sophisticated in the Episcopal Church for that for us, but I want to tell you, I think we hit the hardwood trail every Sunday morning. You are invited to hit the hardwood trail. Two hardwood trails here at St. John's Church. And I suggest to you that when we come forward to take the Eucharist, we are answering John's plea. Won't you come forward? Won't you come forward? Won't you rise to faith? Amen.